If you want to have good grades in school, it's going to cost you something. Maybe you got to do extra homework when friends are out playing. Maybe you got to go in early to school to talk to the teacher. Uh, maybe you got to set up times with the TA to get extra tutoring. Maybe it means retaking a Spanish quiz after you failed it and you've still got to learn the material. If you want to get good grades in school, it's going to cost you something. If you want to win a championship at sports, it's going to cost you something. Extra practices, extra time in the weight room. When they have a bad game or a bad season, you got to fight your way back from that. It costs something if you want to win a championship in sports. It costs something if you want to have a strong marriage, not just simply to be with another person, but actually be married in a strong, healthy marriage. It means you got to let love cover a multitude of sins. It means you can't say everything that pops into your brain that you might want to say. It means that you've got to sacrifice, you've got to work hard, and when things go badly, you've got to think, you know what, I need to do this out of love for Jesus and love for this other person. It costs something if you want to have a strong marriage. It costs something if you want to retire early. Other people may be able to spend money the way they feel like spending money, but if you have it on your heart that you'd like to retire early, you gotta work hard, you gotta save, you can't go on all of the expensive trips, you can't buy all of the expensive toys, you gotta watch what you're doing. It costs something if you want to retire early. It costs something if you want to get into physical shape, especially if you're over a certain age. It's difficult, you can't eat whatever you feel like eating. You gotta exercise when you don't feel like exercising. And when you're dead tired and you wanna quit and you think this isn't making any progress, you gotta keep going. There is a cost associated with getting into shape. Now you may not be interested in good grades and you may not be interested in having a strong marriage and you may not be that interested in winning a sports championship and you may not want to retire early and you may not want to get in physical shape. And if you don't, that's fine. But if you do, there is a cost associated with it. And if you don't pay the cost, you can't have the thing. So it is with following Jesus. There are some people that don't really care about following Jesus. But if you do, if you want to follow Jesus, if you've been going through and looking at the book of Matthew with us and you think, well, this is the God who created all things. He heals people. He helps us carry our disease and burdens. And you think, I want to experience that healing power. I want to experience that love. If you've been listening as we talk about the fact that Jesus has all authority over angels and principalities and demons and darkness, and he has the power to cast spiritual darkness out of your life and out of mine. And if you think, yeah, I want that power. I want that freedom from the panic and from the fear and from the anxiety and from the spiritual attacks. If you've been listening as Jesus has been teaching and you think, well, there is no teacher like this. He knows the way, the truth, and the life, and everything he says is gentle, kind, true, and good, and you're like, I want to learn from him. If you've been watching as Jesus got baptized and submitted to the Father, and he poured out the Holy Spirit, and Jesus had power from on high, and you think, I want to have that kind of power. If you've watched as Jesus resisted temptation, 
And you think, I would like to be able to say no to temptation. I'm tired of living in slavery to sin. If you've come to understand what the Bible's been saying, that Jesus is God with us, that Jesus is the savior of the world, that in Jesus is eternal life, and it is found in no other but him. If you get to the point that you're like, yes, I want those things, it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. Getting good grades costs something. Retiring early costs something. Following Jesus costs something. And we want to look at what those costs are today. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. Matthew, chapter 8. You know, it's kind of like if you're going to be sitting down and sold something and you're like, well, I'd like to know what the costs are. I'd love for you to see the costs written out in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. But there are some in the racks in front of you. If you grab one of those Bibles and turn to page 789, you'll be in Matthew chapter 8. If you're using your phone or something else and you got a Bible app and you get to Matthew chapter 8, great. But if I'm going to tell you what the costs are from Jesus to you, you should see them written out. And let's work through them together. So I'm going to read for us verses 18 to 22 in which Jesus very clearly states there are some costs associated with following him. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 8, page 789. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to the other side, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Two people come to Jesus and want to be followers of Jesus. They have experienced the things that we've been reading about in the book of Matthew. They've seen some of the same things that we've seen, that Jesus has healing power, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus is God with us. And these two men are like, we want to follow you. And in Jesus's response to these men, we hear two different costs associated with following Jesus. Let's look at those two. The first comes with verse 19, this man who is described as a teacher of the law. Now we have lots of teachers that are here. If you're a teacher, you like teaching, you like knowledge, you like understanding truth. You realize that there is a power in explaining the way things actually work to another person and seeing sort of the light come on. This is a teacher of the law. He loves truth. He loves knowledge. He loves teaching. And at some point, this teacher of the law has come to experience that Jesus, that guy is the teacher. He calls him teacher. I'm guessing he heard the Sermon on the Mount the same, we, the same way we've heard the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the single greatest teaching in human history that no other teaching that has ever been uttered on this planet 
has been as memorized, as quoted, as dealt with, as meditated on in every culture and language around the globe and throughout history as the Sermon on the Mount. And if I was a teacher, which I am, and you hear something like that, you're like, I gotta know more from that guy. And so this teacher of the law is like, teacher, I want you to teach me. If you really, really wanted to learn how to play piano, and you found the greatest piano teacher in the world, the one who can take even the least talented person and turn them into a piano uh, maestro, you would be like, I want you to be my piano teacher. If you struggle with math but would like to learn math and you found the greatest math teacher ever to walk the face of the earth, somebody who could take the most complex concepts in math and explain them to you so clearly and so well that even the person who struggles the most with math would get it totally and completely. If you came across a teacher like that, you would say, would you please be my math teacher? This teacher of the law listens to Jesus teach and thinks, would you please teach me? I will go wherever you're teaching. I want to be in whatever class you're offering. I want to sit in the front row. I want to listen to you teach. I want to learn stuff from you. And Jesus basically says in a paraphrase, I'd love to have you as my student, but there's a cost associated with that. There's a cost associated with being a follower, a student of Jesus as a teacher. And the cost is in verse 20. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, I don't think Jesus means for us to take that literally that Jesus has got no place to lay his head, that he's homeless. Because we know that in Capernaum, he's staying at Peter's house. And each night he has a place to go back to where he can go to sleep. But what he is saying literally is that he doesn't own a home. Do you think about that? Jesus, during all his years on this earth, there was never once a plot of land anywhere on the planet that he could point to and say, that's mine. I have the deed for it right here that he's never had a house. You see, the problem with home ownership is that when you own a home, it tends to own you back. You gotta put in time maintaining it. You gotta remodel it, don't you, Don? You gotta do that kind of stuff. You gotta worry about selling it. You gotta worry about buying a new one. You gotta worry about cleaning it. When we own homes, they own us back. And for those of you who maybe have reached a certain age where you're like, you know what, I'm actually done with home ownership. I moved into a condo or I moved into a retirement community or I've downsized. You can attest you have a lot less worries and concerns when you don't own that house, right? And for some who are younger who are like, well, I'm not, I don't own a home, I rent or I'm just uh, living in a dorm or I'm staying with friends. You can testify that the time and energy and money and effort that goes into mowing the lawn and shoveling the driveway and changing the light bulbs and repairing all of this stuff, you're like, that's somebody else's to worry about. I don't have to worry about those things. Jesus doesn't own a home. So he says to this guy, I don't own a house. 
Now, you and I are not supposed to take from that that you can't follow Jesus if you own a home. Actually, Matthew 8, look just a few verses up, verse 14. When Jesus came into what? Peter's house. Is Peter a follower of Jesus? Yes, he is. Does he own a home? Yes, he does. I think that's super helpful. That's right here. I own a house. Lots and lots of people who have been followers of Jesus have owned homes. So Jesus is not saying it's impossible to own a home and be a follower of Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying that if you and I want to be followers of Jesus, there will be a cost related to stuff we own. There will be stuff that we are not able to own or that we have to sell. There will be possessions that we're not able to have because we are following Jesus. For some people, that literally might mean you can't own a home. God may not be calling you to buy a house. He may want you to rent. He may want you to stay with friends. He may want you to experience hospitality. He may want you to live in a retirement community. Whatever it may be, for some of us, the cost will be different for all, but the main idea is there will be some cost associated with what we own that we have to pay if we want to follow Jesus. For some, it might be not having a second home. Like, well, other people have cottages, other people have places that they can go that they own. But me as a follower of Jesus, I'm not allowed to do that. For some, it might be not owning rental properties. Some people have rental properties and that helps bring in added income. And you're like, well, I would love to do that, but the time and the energy and the effort to do those things, I gotta give that to following Jesus. For some, it might be just not owning a television or not having a Netflix account and being like, you know what? I could go get another job or I could work extra hard or have all of it, but I want to use that money for the kingdom of God. I want to do other things with, with that kind of stuff. For some, it might mean not owning a retirement account. It may mean not owning a boat or not owning a car. Jesus' point is not that every one of us will do the exact same thing, but his point is there will be a cost if you want to follow Jesus that has to do with what we own and what we possess. The problem is the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you. Now, one of the ways that practically we do this is we come to church and we give. We give of our money. And the reason we're doing this is when you give money, to God's kingdom at church, you are giving up purchasing power. You're giving up money that you and I could be saving. And when we come and do this, what we're saying is, yeah, there's a cost associated with following Jesus. Now, you may think what I think when I hear this, which is like, well, but I need a house. I need rental properties to sort of supplement my income. I need a TV. I need a Netflix account. I need a second home. I need a retirement account. I need a boat. I need a car. I hear that. But remember, Jesus is not walking around to this guy saying, hey, look, come follow me. What this guy is doing is he sees what Jesus has to offer. And he's like, I want that. And Jesus is honest enough to say to him, look, if you want this, you're going to have to give up some of that. And the answer is the same to you and I today. There is no way to game the system. You can't get all the stuff now and Jesus too. It doesn't work. And Jesus is being very honest in the kindest possible way to say, look, it costs something to follow me. 
And one of the areas in which we have to pay the cost is stuff we own. It'll be different for all of us. But there will be a cost associated with following Jesus. Stuff you have to sell, stuff you can't buy, stuff that others around might own or possess that you and I are not free to have because we want Jesus. Because the crazy thing is Jesus didn't own a home. Jesus didn't own a car. You're like, well, they didn't have cars back then, fine. He didn't have a boat, they had boats. He didn't have a retirement account. We don't think he even owned any fishing poles. The point is that you and I, the point is not that you and I can't own any of those things. The point is, it costs something to follow Jesus. And one of the areas in which it costs something is stuff. Houses, fishing poles, pets, rental properties, retirement accounts, recreational vehicles, kitchen appliances. It costs something to follow Jesus. And you might be like, well, okay, fine. What's the bare minimum I got it? Jesus is like, look, if you want to come follow me, it's going to cost you something. It'll be different for every person. There's a second person that comes. And with this second person, we get a different set of costs. Verse 21, another disciple. So this person is identified differently. The first person was a teacher. This person is called a disciple. What this essentially means is it seems like this person has come to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. He's come to realize, look, there's something special about this Jesus. Maybe you're at this sort of this point too where you're like, look, I, can't, I don't understand what this is, but I feel something about this Jesus. I feel something is going on here. This is where this man is at. He's come to realize, man, Jesus, there's something happening here. And he wants to move from the point of just knowing Jesus to actually being a follower of Jesus. That he wants to move from, hey, look, I've come to discover that this Jesus person, he's got some power. He's got some grace. He's got some truth. And he's like, I want to not just know about him. I want to actually be with him. I want to see him do stuff. I want to learn from him. I want to experience the stuff firsthand. And so he comes and says, okay, first, before I follow you, let me go and bury my father. And then you get what seems like a super insensitive comment from Jesus. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay, this is not insensitive. One, because it's Jesus and everything he does is kind and sensitive. But two, the reason why it's not insensitive is because the man's dad hasn't died. This is a hypothetical situation. How do I know that? Well, when Lazarus died, do you remember Jesus' response? He wept. And he comforted Lazarus' two sisters. That's not how Jesus is responding here. This man's not crying. Jesus is not crying. Nobody is being comforted because all we have going on here is a hypothetical situation. The other way I know that is because in this culture, you buried people on the day they died. Jesus was buried on the day he died. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 were buried on the day they died. 
if this man's dad had just died, he would be at the burial right now and not talking to Jesus. So what he's doing is he's asking a hypothetical question. Okay, suppose I follow you and my dad dies, would I be free to go and bury my dad? To which Jesus gives a response which is a little like what he says to the rich young ruler when he says you've got to sell all your possessions to come follow me or when he says to the Syrophoenician woman you can only eat the crumbs from the table. This is not actually how Jesus feels about funerals but he's using this to try to pull out what's going on in the heart. And what he essentially says to the man to his hypothetical question, yes, it's actually hypothetically possible that you will not be able to bury your father. Not because Jesus isn't into burials and not because Jesus doesn't like funerals and not because Jesus doesn't grieve with us when people die, but because practically speaking, if you're in a culture where they bury somebody on the day they die, and if you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus happens to be in another city that's three or four days walk away from where your father is, if your father dies on that day, Jesus says to the man, yes, hypothetically, it will be possible that you wouldn't be there for the burial. And so here is the point, again, just like the first one, it's not that we're not supposed to bury people. The point is, if you and I want to follow Jesus, there will be relational costs associated with that. It's going to cost us not just stuff, but relationships. Meaning, for you and I today, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we might not get to live near family. We may not get to live near friends that we went to college with. We may not be able to be married. It says in 1 Corinthians 7 that a person who God calls to remain single is more devoted to following Jesus, can be more devoted to following Jesus than a person who gets married. It may mean that you and I have to give up some friends. That there are going to be some people that we can't be friends with because A, we, we're, we're busy serving Jesus and B, because they just don't want to be friends with us because we got another person that we're more interested in hanging out with. There will be a relational cost associated with following Jesus. And so Jesus says to this man, yes, it's actually possible that you might not be there for the burial of your father. Now you might hear this and think, well, this is my worst fear about saying I'll follow Jesus. Like he's gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna follow him and then he's gonna make me move to some weird place in the world that I don't wanna live and make me live there. Or he's not gonna let me get married. Or he's gonna take away all of my friends. Or he's not gonna let me be present when my parents die. We like to ask the same kinds of hypothetical questions that this man is asking. But let me just encourage you. The response to hypothetical questions is, yes, it is possible. But what you are giving up in relational costs, remember what you get back, which is Jesus who created relationships. He's the one who knows what you and I need. He knows that he, if, your, if your father dies, he absolutely wants you to be there if at all possible. He absolutely wants to comfort you in that season. 
He absolutely wants you to have meaningful relationships. If he asks you to be single so that you can follow him, he's going to provide for you a community of other single people to journey on this journey with you. If you give up friends to follow Jesus, he will provide others who are devoted to him that you can have relationships with. It is hypothetically possible that God can move you somewhere, that God can have you not be present for a funeral, that you can lose friends, that you have to. All of that is, of course, possible because there is a cost associated with following Jesus. But the person you're following is the good shepherd, the one who loves you, the one who wants you to have fulfilling, meaningful relationships. And anything that Jesus calls you out of he will be calling you into something better. But there's a cost associated with following Jesus. If you want to get in shape, there's a cost. If you want to retire early, there's a cost. If you want to win a sports championship, there is a cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. And the cost is stuff and relationships. The genuine followers of Jesus, all genuine followers of Jesus, are asked to give up certain things that we might own, additions we might put on our house because we gotta spend that doing other things, things that we might purchase because we're giving to the Lord, stuff and relationships. There's some people that aren't going to want to hang out with us because we're following hard after Jesus. There are some relationships that God's like, look, you can't have that person in your life. That person is taking you away from me instead of having you draw closer to me. For every person who wants to follow Jesus, there will be costs, stuff and relationships. So the question for all of us today are you willing to pay the cost? If you don't want to be a follower of Jesus, there isn't a cost associated. But if you want to follow Jesus, there is a cost. Are you willing to pay it? I don't know what it will be. It's different for every person and it changes from season to season of life. But there is no way to game the system. You can't figure out a way to get everything you want out of life and Jesus too. Are you willing to pay the cost? And I will just say, with God as my witness, Lisa and I, many years ago, decided we wanted to follow Jesus. We decided this is the path. This is what we want. And I want to tell you as honestly and testify as clearly as I can there absolutely have been costs. Absolutely. Painful costs. Hard costs. Things where you're like, oh no, Lord, I, I never thought it would be this. Those kinds of costs. I want to testify honestly to you. This is not a joke. These are real costs. These are tears in the eyes. Please, Lord, don't make us do this. I also want to testify, it has been absolutely, totally worth it. So totally worth it. 
So great to get a front row seat to watch what God is doing. So great to see his power at work. So great to say, you know what? That stuff wouldn't have made me happy anyway. So great to experience. Yeah, we gave up relationships, but look what God gave us back in return. And even in the loneliness and the discouragement to hear the heavenly father, your heavenly father say to you, don't worry, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm here. To hear Jesus' voice at the very darkest moment say, don't be afraid, it's gonna be okay. Totally and completely worth it. But there is a cost. And nobody, nobody follows Jesus without paying the cost. And so the question for all of us today is, are you willing to pay the cost? Which leads to two questions that I'd like us to reflect on. And we're gonna spend some time because these are important questions. So we're gonna dedicate the rest of the service to kind of singing through and meditating through and praying through the answers to these two questions. The first question is this. I'd like you today, the rest of this week, the rest of this month, there's not much month left, next month too, (laughs) think about, have you made sacrifices for Jesus in the past? Did you give up some stuff to contribute to what God was asking you to do here in our building project at Grace Beyond? Was there something God asked you to do when you became a Christian to break off a relationship with a boy or with a girl that wasn't healthy? Were there sacrifices that God asked you to make in the past? And was it worth it? That's the first question. The second question, and this might be the more important one. What is God asking you to give up today? so that you can follow him more fully. There's gonna be something. And so we wanna spend a little time and just think through, what is it, Jesus, that you want me to let go of so I can grab more fully onto you? Let's pray together and then Andy's going to come and lead us through this time of reflection. Jesus, thank you for your honesty. And thank you for the truth that there is a cost associated with following you. Lord, as we enter now into this time of reflection and meditation and thinking, Lord, keep our minds from being distracted. Enable us to hear your voice calling out to us. Jesus, if it's something different for every person, we can't know what those things are unless you tell us. Both of these men came and asked to follow you and you very specifically told them what the cost would be. Would you tell us here today? Lord, And would you give us the confidence that we are hearing from you as we do this? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.